Tony, and Merry Christmas, everyone. It's Top Gun Tawa here, dressed in my metrosexual wear, and I'm a happy man. I'm off the steroids, I'm off the cocaine, I'm off the painkillers, even. But I got my Chipotle, and that's all I need. God bless it. God bless it. No more God damn it. Only God bless it for the holidays. Oh my. That's Thanks for checking out the Indie Handshake Wrestling Podcast. I am Paul Ponce. I'm here today joined by Top Gun Talwar, uh, one of the creators of Pro Wrestling Guerrilla, uh, one of, I would say, the most influential uh, indie promotions in the early 2000s for California and beyond. How are we doing today? Uh, we're doing great, Paul, and thank you for the intro. Uh, hello to everyone out there. So uh, I wanted to talk to you uh, a little bit about uh, the beginning of PWG. Uh, I myself have been to a couple of shows. I went to the Battle of Los Angeles 2005, and I think 2007 is the other one I went to. I don't remember. My memory is not what it used to be these days. Uh, but when you're creating something like Pro Wrestling Guerrilla at the time, uh, you know, a really wrestler-focused uh, promotion especially, what's your goal, you personally, uh, when PWG comes around? Um, I think the primary goal... Originally, I think it was a you know it was a unified goal too from all of us was just to you know blend the local talent that was there and enrich enrich the you know enrich the local talent with outsiders as well like good outside talent. Um, so you know as you know the first show involved like bringing in AJ Styles, um, which was something that uh, promotions previously weren't really doing. Um, there was some aspect of that in Revolution Pro. Um, but, and then also like a promotion like Epic came along as well. Um, but you know, we didn't, uh, we didn't really have a lot of control over that. Uh, so a lot of it, you know, was, uh, obviously there's a, you know, individual promoters, which were running things at the time. Uh, so we wanted to get a little more control of that aspect and more or less have like a super show almost every time, um, to some extent, like we enjoyed, uh, we enjoyed putting on the shows. Like, you know, we used to have for religion, probably like a, a J, a J cup esque type of tournament. Uh, so we wanted to do that on a more regular basis. So that was the intent and uh, original goal. Um, also, it was modeled after the XPW way of doing things in terms of, you know, establishing local talent. And then also like, you know, enriching them, like I said, with bringing in some outsides as well. Yeah. And I, I was, it was something I was immediately gravitating to because uh, I actually, uh, I used to work, uh, well work volunteered, I guess, at uh, all pro wrestling and um, so I did like camera for the King of Indies tournament where uh, American I, I was Dragon. There, I, was, I was there at the first one, actually. Yeah, I was there for the, the first one. I was there for the second one when American Dragon won. And they had, you know, Styles and uh -huh. a, a bunch of people there. So I was immediately like, oh, I recognize a bunch of these names. So, of course, I'm going to go check out PWG because, you know, all these names. So 
when you're doing that though, like you said, you're building up local talent, guys that you know, you grew up in the business with, you know, grew up in the business. I'm talking when you're adults, but you know what I mean? And, uh, and you're bringing in these names. Uh, how do you find, how did you find it when you had to balance it as far as, okay, who's gonna, you know, the number of matches each, you know, people get, how many times people get booked? Uh, did you ever come into conflicts with people who you booked before that were like, how come I'm not getting booked anymore or anything like that? Uh, personally, I didn't. I mean, I was probably, <laughs> I was probably on the spectrum of like, okay, just showing up sometimes and just uh, not even knowing what my match was that day. Um, I'll give the example of like actually the first bolo that you attended in, uh, you know, 2005, which is essentially the first uh, Battle of Los Angeles. Uh, I just found out that same day that I was going to wrestle uh, against uh, Samoa Joe. And <laughs> literally, uh, you know, just having, just letting that hit you like a couple, like a couple hours before the show, um, that reality mm -hmm. <laughs> was like, uh, you know, kind of like, okay, like, oh shit, <laughs> what, what have I gotten myself into to some extent? Um, but, uh, you know, to directly answer your question, I just really, I didn't have a lot of oversight on the booking aspect of PWG. Um, I'll be honest with that and candid. Um, a lot of the stuff that I did was um, mostly around like, you know, essentially being a courier for things. So like even like, you know, picking up talent from the airport, housing the talent at, like in my house and just, you know, um, and on, you know, at the time I was, you know, uh, either in high school <laughs> or I was, uh, you know, had just gone to college out of state. So like uh, I wasn't putting a hundred percent focus into PWG at the time. Okay. So what was that like for you, you know, having this talent from all over the world come and then, you know, another crashing at your house? It was great. Actually, you know, I, I wish I took uh, more advantage of the situation and circumstances I was in at the time. Cause I mean, quite literally, I mean like uh, Brian Danielson stayed there on multiple occasions, uh, AJ Styles as well. Um, I should have been more of a student of the game at the time. Um, I mean, it was cool kind of associating with these people on a personal basis no matter who you are, uh, I don't put people on a pedestal. I think yeah. everyone's a human being, uh, no matter what. Um, there's aspects of being a human being and just, you know, personal qualities that I like to, you know, I like to, I like to look at people's strengths overall. So getting to know them on a personal basis was probably my favorite thing. Um, but I think at the same time, I should have been more of a student of the game, learn from them in terms of, you know, enhancing, <laughs> enhancing my wrestling experience overall. Um, I pretty much, uh, you know, I had that, I, you know, I had that opportunity. I don't think I seized the day as much as I should have. Yeah. Cause I imagine it's probably like a networking dream as far as, you know, Oh yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I still, I still keep in touch. I didn't keep in touch with these guys as much as I should have. Um, like for instance, I think, uh, El Generico, uh, Sammy Zane is probably the one I've kept in touch with most over the years. Um, and it, you know, it took a long time before I actually just finally caught up with him at the beginning of this year, myself, Quicksilver, and uh, Dino Winwood. Yeah, and then uh, we were talking a little bit about the uh, the uh, Battle of Los Angeles, and uh, we alluded to it earlier before before we started recording about uh, AJ Styles. And uh, so one really funny moment, and somebody brought it up on Twitter again this week, is is there's a moment when uh, Bosch and uh, AJ Styles get get into a little. This is a uh, Chris Bosch, uh, yep. not the not the basketball player, the, yeah. the wrestler. <laughs> You sit there and you thump your Bible.
me on my head all you want. Don't you ever quote my Jesus, because I will break your neck. War is all about the Father, and by God, I will break it to you. Don't you ever, ever quote my Jesus. Mentioned uh, before we start recording that you might have a little bit more insight into what what went down. I would love to hear it. Yeah, actually, you know, I saw both sides of the story essentially. So, and um, uh, you know, Chris Bosch's intent for that promo was just to you know mimic what uh, Stone Cold uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin's King of the Ring promo essentially. Um, I don't think uh, I don't think AJ uh, AJ understood the context at the time. And, you know, obviously he's deeply religious, which, you know, makes sense, you know, so not understanding the context, he essentially thought he was, uh, you know, trying to offend him mm. uh, intentionally. Um, and I, that same day, actually, I had left the show a little bit early um, because I, uh, you know, James Gibson, uh, Jamie Noble at the time was actually, you know, on the show and needed to get, uh, you know, needed to get transported to get to the airport. So I had left the show a little bit early with James and actually, I brought him over to, you know, my house at the time. Um, so AJ Styles actually came, you know, after the show, he was dropped off there at the house as well. And he was heated. He was heated. And, you know, come, uh, the, I, you know, actually, I didn't, I wasn't at the show, so I didn't know the circumstances what happened. Uh, but bo uh, both of them were a little bit hot. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm hoping, like, you know, they end up leaving the house too. Like, I think they, someone took them to the airport. Um, but they were still kind of hot at the time. I'm hoping eventually um, he figured out the context of what happened. Obviously, he did return to PWG. So yeah. I'm assuming, he, you know, was uh, forgiven and uh, understood. Um, but there was, there is pretty tense of a situation. I'm not going to lie. I wasn't there backstage to witness it. Um, and then, you know, some of my friends uh, after the, you know, the Quicksilver and whatnot, and all of them came, came to my house after and they kind of explained the situation um, and, you know, we didn't, we weren't mad at AJ by any means. Um, and, you know, kind of, uh, you have to empathize with both sides. Yeah. To understand, you know, the context of the situation. So was Bosch like surprised at how pissed yeah, he, no, got? He, was, he was, he was surprised and a bit scared. One other story from there. It's not, you know, it's not really my story to tell, but I'm going to say it anyways. Uh, ended up being, it doesn't throw anyone under the bus, to be honest. Uh, during Bola as well, um, Bosch wrestled uh, James Gibson. Uh, Jamie Noble. So there was a, a spot where uh, James dove on him. And, uh, you know, he kind of caught him on his shoulder. At the same time, uh, 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 James did kind of did a flip and like landed on his neck. Um, and he thought, he thought at the time that maybe he like he had hurt himself. So he was telling Bosch while they were on the floor, I'm going to fucking kill you. I'm going to fucking kill you. And, um, and apologies for the language. Yeah, no worries. It's all good. But um, yeah, I think, uh, Toward like after they got up, he's like, "Oh, you're okay." <laughs> so in, in a span of like five seconds, he essentially okay, like realized it was wasn't a big deal. Uh, but Bosch was like, "Oh my god, what the fuck? <laughs> what did I? What did I do?" Essentially. Um, so that's that's one of the interesting stories, like you know, that occurred that day. But uh, yeah, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus or villainize anyone. I think uh, both are great, great people. Yeah. Um, the, you know, the time that I spent with him. Yeah, I think it's just a matter of understanding, like, uh, 
<laughs> understand the situation and, uh, you and like know, you said the context yeah the con- yeah the context of the situation so yeah because i remember uh, everyone in the crowd kind of could tell like this isn't a game right now like he's not messing around <laughs> he's no, not working i think he even threw a, i watched it after um and even recently like he threw a water bottle at him and yeah and he- everyone everyone's a little bit surprised but I don't think I don't think I think AJ was in a rush to get out of there, so no one really sat him down to explain the context. Yeah, and he was just still kind of hot after, and I hope eventually he did. I mean, things obviously he returned to even uh, like I said PWG after, uh, you know, obviously you know had uh, some association with Bosch thereafter. So I'm sure all was uh, all was settled. Yeah, yeah, it was just it, it just must be one of those things like. Cause I'm almost like imagining like him telling the story to someone else and be like, and then he said three sixteen, and he's like, Oh, like Austin. And he's like, what? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully it got your moment. I yeah. mean, perhaps, perhaps he didn't even watch. He doesn't even know about that promo or he yeah. didn't even know about that. Or promo he just didn't time. connect it in the moment or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, man. So a lot of that stuff with PWG uh, and I've recently went back and I watched some of the, the stuff again, uh, the little funny skits you guys would do. Uh, especially you and uh, Steen with uh, oh, that's the, the Chipotle bag. Yeah, I'm actually yeah, the Chipotle I'm, bag. Yeah, that's a cool. And, that's one. That's one I'm really proud of. I think the bear one, uh, <laughs> <in different, laughs> a little bit indifferent. Uh, yeah, no one, no one pressured me. I just had. Uh, we used to find honestly, we used to find humor in the absurd, uh, even if it was really out there. Um, a lot of those, a lot of those promos were honestly first take. Like we didn't, we didn't rehearse them. Yeah, <laughs> we didn't do we didn't do a second take. It was all improv um, and impromptu and like kind of blue sky thought process. Like yeah, me. but but it's funny because uh, you know I think I think even now like it would have been a totally different thing you know if that was going on right now and you guys were putting them out because I feel like those are like a really big like precursor to like the being the elite stuff like especially since like the Bucks were like fans of PWG and everything like I feel like that's like somewhere in the back of their head where they're like. We're gonna put out like this absurd content online. I would hope so. I think uh, we we wanted to establish a precedence that would uh, differentiate ourselves, and a lot of that was based on uh, some humor. At mm-hmm. least uh, you know we weren't just doing like uh, you know, I guess Ring of Honor type matches. You know, it's solid wrestling, no doubt. You know, by any means, we wanted to we wanted to have solid wrestling and good matches, but and like, but not every match had to be like you know, uh, like you know five-star quality or like you yeah. know, go out there and just like a, a normal match where you shake the opponent you hug and shake the opponent's hand at the end we wanted to throw in some elements of humor as well um so a lot of that uh, you know set the grounds for hopefully like you know the future as well yeah. in terms of you know being able to establishing some sense of being unique and differentiate yourselves from what's what you what we establish as normal uh so that was the intent overall even even i would say my character is kind of based on that mm-hmm. um I've always been I've always been the type of person in general, um, obviously within boundaries, <laughs> to kind of like differentiate myself from others. Um, so I think uh, you know I hope that uh, PWG itself set the tone for that. So let's go into that a little bit. Uh, you know, coming up with your character, you're obviously like more of a, a comedic based character. Did you did you always gravitate towards that when you were watching wrestling when you were younger, or how did that go down? Not not at all. Actually, uh, I mean, some of my favorite wrestlers were like uh, you know Doctor Death. Uh, Steve Williams growing up, and I like that. Would not be if you gave me ten names to pick, would have been one of your favorite wrestlers based on seeing Top Gun Talwar. I would have <laughs> not have said Doctor Death. <laughs> I, think, uh, I like wrestlers that had like kind of like an intimidation factor to it. Um, over time, I actually I loved uh, even like you know I started with wrestling when I was really on like sixteen or so, 
but even like prior to that i used to like, trade tapes and stuff i got deeply into japanese wrestling mm-hmm. i actually enjoyed a lot of the comedy elements of it like uh watching stuff at an early age of like uh Amazon and like question common as well and are even seeing like survival tobita <laughs> that, that stuff really uh resonated with me um you know i i really enjoyed the comedic elements i enjoyed the serious elements strong style just a hybrid i enjoyed everything essentially with wrestling um i wasn't so much into like the big man type of stuff like um mm. even at the time like you know when i had first started wrestling like you know steroids and like you know bodybuilding type of uh, personalities were huge yeah um she, my character was kind of built on that foundation to play a parody of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so all in all, my character is probably a parody of <laughs> what essentially wrestling was and yeah. what a wrestler was, whether it's like the steroid, uh, you know, just making fun of that, mocking that, or even like mocking, mocking the usage of drugs in wrestling to some extent. So it was, it was more or less a parody of that. And then just uh, I wanted to incorporate elements of kind of a hybrid style as well. I feel like a lot of people, especially younger people, are, are they'd be so like confused if they try to watch older wrestling because when you got guys like Luchasaurus or Brian Cage who are massive and yet they're doing like shooting star presses and all this stuff, I don't I think they're gonna be very confused when they go back and they see like Hulk Hogan and they're gonna be like, But he's not doing anything. He's just he's just walking around. I know, I, I can't uh I don't know that's a thing. I think I I don't think a lot of people actually go back and watch these matches in pool. Like a lot of clips are posted more around like, you know, I just, I was following an account recently about like, you know, Mongol and Michael were just like kind of, kind of making yeah. fun of to some extent. Like, you know, so, <coughs> I mean, it's a, it's cool to follow. Actually, I enjoy watching it, but even like Rick Rude selling like uh, Atomic Drops, for instance. Yeah. But it's just like those, uh, those minor things of appreciation when you look back at things versus like the full match and full content. I think that's stuff, stuff that people appreciate more. Um, you know, we're in a world where now we're like, I think the attention span, <laughs> obviously the attention span <laughs> is a lot less than what it used to be. Yeah. Um, so like, uh, I think the stuff that's popular now for old uh, wrestling is just like gifts, like seeing just clips and stuff, which I enjoy. Honestly, I enjoy. Um, it's brought back to, it's brought back a lot of memories too. When I was a kid and like training tapes, um, just like, just seeing this stuff like old all Japan. Um, yeah. which is funny. Cause I used to go like as a kid, like, me and my mom used to take me to little Tokyo here in Los Angeles to actually rent a lot of these tapes and I would, I would dub over them. I would trade them. Um, so it's cool. It's cool to kind of reminisce. Yeah. It's really gone like the way of blockbuster, the whole tape trading game. Now that with the internet, it's like trying to tell people like, Oh no, you don't understand. Like you had to go to a guy's website and you had to look at his. And then sometimes he didn't even sell them for money. He would just be like, what tapes do you have? And you had to go and do it that way. As now it's like, it's like, Here's a website that has every indie show you've ever seen in your entire life. Would you like to exactly? Subscribe? No, I think I think it's I think it's fantastic that we're able to just like own. Like I recently I subscribed to High Spots Wrestling Network. I hadn't seen some of the PWG content I was actually involved with. Um, mm-hmm. I had a few. I had a lot of the earlier DVDs, uh, but I didn't have like you know some of the, like the later ones that I was involved with. And quite frankly, I never chased them down. Um, but recently, I subscribed to the High Spots Wrestling Network. I rewatched all the stuff. But just having that in like a single library that I can go on any device in the house and watch this, which is like, was phenomenal. Like the idea is great in terms of like getting your name out there and like even like building a brand. It's like a whole yeah. new world compared to what it used to be. Um, I mean, even being in that tape trading spectrum, um, I was, a, I was a, a user at the time of the Death Valley Driver video review boards, um, which was like a big, you know, uh, essentially a tape trading uh, haven for like you know people involved in that 
And I didn't know about Revolution Pro at the time. Uh, I didn't have a means of finding out, you know, essentially. But uh, Taro, who was involved in Revolution Pro at the time, had actually posted on there. And I was just like, oh, let me, you know, this, this looks interesting. And, uh, I don't know any of these names, but uh, let me go check it out. And I did, essentially. And then I, it's funny because I filmed some of the early shows that the, I did, like, fan cam. Essentially, like, I got their permission, of course, like, I, you know, at the door. But um, I did fan cam, and then I actually started kind of distributing, trading the tapes, essentially. I didn't, never sold them. I figured, like, you know, kind of, let's get, let's kind of get this promotion out there. And, like, because uh, I, you know, I didn't have that big of a rep- uh, reputation amongst the tape training community. I was starting to kind of build myself up a little bit because I had some, I had some cool comps, comp tapes. Like, I had, like, this Mick, uh, this Mick Foley comp tape, like a three series Mick Foley comp tape uh, that, I, you know, I would kind of, I would put out there a lot. But at the same time, like, you know, when the Revolution Pro stuff really uh, uh, established myself as being unique in that community. Um, but at the same time, my main goal was just to get its name out there. And it's kind of cool to hear that eventually that stuff got made its way through Europe. Um, like uh, Tommy End, who wrestles as Aleister Black now, and uh, Tengua, who are, uh, you know, runs this uh, Pro Wrestling Holland promotion out there. Also, you know, they're good friends. Um, we wrestled, we, when we went to the European Vacation Show, we had wrestled them. And one of the first things they said when uh, meeting us is that they were so excited to actually wrestle us because they had been such huge fans of Revolution Pro from the get-go. And it's uh, amazing to me that, that, you know, the tapes actually made their way yeah. to, to Europe and all throughout the world. It's, uh, it's, it's, you know, the, it's, it's amazing. It's just, a, it's a small world, you know, essentially. Yeah. And How did that come about? Any, uh, also going the whole uh, European vacation. Um, I think uh, uh, Super Dragon was already making his way out there quite regularly to WXW in Germany. And then, uh, you know, had a little bit of a network there as well in the UK. Um, so that kind of helped establish that. Um, I'll be honest with you. Uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of the early PWG stuff was funded by Disco Machine. Mm. Um, we would not have had the means to have that show out there if it wasn't for him actually funding a lot of aspects of transportation, <laughs> getting us out there to begin with. Um, I would say, you know, more or less an unsung hero that, you know, people don't actually realize. <laughs> yeah. We never, we never actually, you know, made that public. Um, but uh, essentially, yeah, we, I think uh, Super Dragon kind of established that foundation for us going out there. Yeah, thanks for Disco Machine for actually getting us out there to begin with. And uh, I think thank you for the promotions, at least, for in the, and the fans especially. The fans were absolutely incredible. I've never seen like I went to rewatch those shows recently, um, and man, those that crowd was just both in both England and Germany were absolutely amazing. I actually returned I actually returned back to the UK not long after that too, and like just uh, you know they really they embraced me and like you know they I really appreciated the fans there. I think so. I would say I would strongly say that the UK was uh, some of the best fan base I've ever received in my life. How was, how about, so for Germany, were you, did you have any like trepidation at all? Where you, did you think like, are they going to get it? Like, you know what I mean? No, you know, I saw, I had seen like some of the, some of the clips that, uh, you know, Super Dragon has shown me of his matches and just how, just how into it they actually were. Mm. Um, so yeah, no, I, I had no doubts whatsoever. Uh, but that was, that was seriously one of the hottest crowds I've ever wrestled in front of. I'm going to say uh, my adrenaline, my adrenaline was flowing so much at the time. 
there was like these stairs going down to the ring and I just I completely ate shit on my hands. <laughs> like dude, like I just got up like nothing happened to be honest. And it's a uh, it's kind of a um it's an embarrassing story to also in the UK um when I had entered I I guess I was like my, my again my adrenaline was flowing so much I was really I think the the idea of actually wrestling in another country is like thrilling, you know, exciting. Um I actually bit a kid's finger. <laughs> yeah, like uh, I like I felt awful too at the time, but uh, yeah, I actually bit a kid's finger uh, going in the ring. You know, like just getting into care. There was no, there was on a complete accident by all means. Like just getting into like character and just you know, you I don't think you I remember my entrances, just like mm-hmm. mindless, like yeah, uncontrollable, like you know, yelling and screaming and all over the place. Um, but definitely that was, uh, that was uh, scary. And I just, I felt awful, you know, I went back out and gave him a t-shirt, but I don't <laughs> think there's any, any way to reconcile that situation <laughs> in the long term. Um, but, uh, you know, I hope, uh, I hope, uh, you know, he forgave me over time, but I felt just so bad. Uh, I got to ask, uh, because, uh, I, I, I knew pretty well, uh, Dane, AKA uh, hook. All right. Yeah. yeah, yeah yeah, I, I used to work at Pro Wrestling Iron up here in the Bay Area. Also. Well, that's awesome. You know, I was a big fan of, uh, you know, Mike Modest and those guys. I yeah. Think, uh, yeah, whatever they were doing was really cool to me. So, uh, Dane's an interesting dude. Any interesting Dane stories? Or Hook Bomber, I should say? Um, we, didn't ha- we didn't hang out much uh, outside the ring. I think one of the, one of the funnier things was just, uh, you know, having uh, – he actually got uh, Ed Powers to come to shows and, uh, you know, be our manager. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. For anyone watching or listening, uh, your tag team name was Gunning for Hookers. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Ed Powers is uh, what? What would you say? A a porn mogul or? (laughs) Oh man, I don't know. I don't know what director. What is he? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I think one of the funnier things was he used to bring uh, he used to bring a box of his own pornography to the shows. Uh, like backstage and like just okay like here's some dvds for you guys and like no one would no one would take them <laughs> <laughs> just like oh. i mean i mean he, he wasn't like he wasn't doing anything like crazy backstage but just the fact that he brought like his like dvds there and it's like okay yeah he's very nonchalant about it too so, yeah. yeah is it important or i want to i want to say like he just uh, he erupted for no reason one time um, I tried to get more uh, more context around that from uh, Dane, but um, he just erupted one time and just stormed off and never came back. Um, yeah, it's just you know I don't know. <laughs> I'm not gonna I'm not gonna justify it. Yeah. Um, no, but Dane, Dane's real. It's funny because we have a lot of we share a lot of the same viewpoints and stuff. Now, um, so that's you know that's fun to see at least. So, and you know he's got his own family. I have my own family. Um, so you know, hopefully one of these days we can catch up and stuff. I yeah. kind of, I kind of, I, I wouldn't say I've distanced myself from wrestling, but uh, you know, I haven't poked my head into shows that often um, in the recent, uh, the recent past at least. Um, so hopefully, you know, I can catch up with him one of these days. How old are the kids? Um, I have a six-year-old daughter and uh, a two-year-old son, and then I have a, a, what's a seventeen-year-old stepson. Okay. Have you uh, have you popped in any of the old DVDs? Have you have you given them a glimpse into your former life? 
So my daughter, my daughter has seen this, uh, these clips on YouTube, like the top 10 moves. Okay. Top Gun Tall War. And, uh, she really enjoys the Chipotle. Like she'll, okay. she'll, she'll yell that all the time. Uh, just like or whenever we, whenever we get Chipotle too, she just yells it. So, uh, she's excited about it. And like, um, I, I've old matches and stuff. I think I've tr- like, I've put it on the TV and she's not, she has no interest. Even my wife is like, eh. <laughs> whatever. Yeah. yeah. My wife, my wife actually saw me wrestle once. It was the last match I had. So it was a uh, disco machine and myself against, um, uh, Jarek Matthews and Todd Chandler. Um, this was at a show called LAW. Uh, the, you know, mm-hmm. it was, they're running, they're running for a little while out of, uh, Los Angeles, Boyle Heights in uh, Los Angeles, somewhere around there. And, uh, it didn't last that long. Um, at the same time, it was just, uh, that was part, that was honestly the last match that both Disco and Machine and I had. So, but uh, yeah, my wife got a, a glimpse of myself wrestling. At least she got to see that. So, uh, we'll see in time. Maybe my daughter's conveyed interest in terms of uh, seeing the show. So we'll okay. see if I we'll see if I take her. I obviously, you know, um, I still associate. Like I think all my friends, uh, all my friends in general and throughout life have been from wrestling <laughs> that I've kept in touch with over the years. Um, it's funny, even being distance or being in like the corporate world for 14 years, I've not made a friend as close as I have in wrestling. I think the the type of people you meet in wrestling are very unique. Um, and, you know, there's some, uh, you know, amazing people for that matter in terms of, you know, just uh, not just being unique, but being like, you know, just having like, you know, uh, good being people of good character, good moral values and upbringing. Um and you know they're talented. They're talented people, and you know I know about like Scott Loss, for example, is just like a talented artist to begin with too. I mean, these are the type of people that you know I want to be around. Um, you know, I don't want you know not to say that you know I've made friends elsewhere, but like I think some of my closest friends have been from wrestling itself. I mean, you get in the you get in the ring and you you know you trust the other person with your life essentially. Yeah. Um, well, in so addition really, to that, you know, you're traveling, and then. You know, you're sleeping on couches together. You're you're sleeping in hotel floors. Yep. You're you're sleeping in cars. You're traveling to different places. It's almost like you have this like resurging other childhood of like sleepovers and all this and horsing around that you did. You know, except you're an adult and you're all drinking or you know doing whatever. <laughs> if you do, if you drink, you know what yeah, I mean. You know, I don't, we didn't really travel that much uh, uh, together, like outside of uh, SoCal. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the, a lot of the shows we did were local, at least Revolution Pro and Pro Sangrilla. Um, I don't, I didn't have a lot of traveling stories with these guys. I think the biggest one for us obviously was Europe. Um, the first European vacation, uh, that, that itself was like exhausting. And then, uh, un- uh it was, it was, it was not, fu- not a funny story, but like, uh, towards the tail end of the trip in the UK, uh, uh, Scott, uh, Scott lost, got his stuff, uh, you know, stolen. Like oh. a lot of his, uh, like his, uh, his passport, his ID and like, you know, his phone, like a bunch of money too. Um, he got it stolen out of an internet cafe. Um, even like at the time, like you needed like a, he had like a physical plane ticket in order to get home, which is just, it boggles your mind right now. Right. Yeah. Just think about it in this day and age. Um, but I, uh, you know, at the same time, we obviously we got, we all got together. We had to help him obviously get, get back whether it was like, you know, take, getting, getting him enough, like, you know, you know, going with him to the embassy. Like I went with him to the U S embassy there in the UK just to get like a, t- you know, temporary passport. Um, so it was a, you know, a couple of days of, uh, you know, headaches, but at the same time we all stuck together. 
and got yeah. through that. So, you know, those are the type of things. But for the most part, um, yeah, we didn't do a lot of, we didn't go on the road, like long road trips or whatever, just, you know, uh, sporadic trips. Um, even at the time too, like I was, a, I was going to college in Arizona uh, from like 2002 through 2006. Um, so I wasn't like actively like going on these like, you know, road trips or trips out east flying out there. Wait, um, so were you going back and forth between Arizona and LA to wrestle? Yeah, yeah, I was actually almost uh, every month, if not twice a month, I would fly out. Um, obviously, my home base, I was born and raised in uh, Southern California uh, from uh, Sierra Madre originally. And, uh, you know, my parents are actually still out there. But uh, yeah, I would, I would come visit my parents every now and then. And it was good for me, actually, the, the whole experience of being away from home. It helped me grow to be like more independent. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it was just a good overall college experience. And I would never live there. <laughs> uh, where, where I went to school, at least in, uh, you know, Tucson. I don't think, I don't think Arizona's for me personally. Uh, but uh, it was good experience nonetheless. But I did, uh, you know, I would say that I didn't, I wasn't 100% focused on wrestling overall. Okay. Um, as, as much as some guys were. Like, it, wasn't a, it was never a career for me. Um, I never had the goal of going to a WWE um, there was there were some small I think you know I'm actually quite satisfied in fact I'm uh, I exceeded my expectations of what I would actually do in wrestling um, but it wasn't my it was never my 100% focus so I was always kind of between school mm. and wrestling as far as uh, what my focus would be at the time do you ever have any big uh, conflicts as far as you know something you had to miss out on in wrestling because of school or work or something or oh, vice versa oh, Absolutely. On, um, there was a couple times where I could have gone to Japan to wrestle in Osaka Pro. Um, the, one of the first times was when Disco Machine and Mr. Excitement went. So they had suggested like, oh, I come along, you know, with them, tag along. And, and at the time, you know, school obviously, you know, was conflicting. Um, I, don't know, I don't know what specifically, but it just they were going to go for a, a good period of time. So it didn't, it didn't make sense at least to miss that much of school. Like yeah. it was almost like a full month essentially same thing with uh, Scorpio Sky and Scott Lost so they had gone again they also invited me um just could not take the time so I would say I missed out on that opportunity uh never had the chance to wrestle in Japan which was one of my regrets on <laughs> quite honestly in wrestling um I was a huge Japanese fan I still am I'm wearing Kikutaro's <laughs> buffet club shirt and yeah. um yeah even just now um I just made a recent trip to Japan and I was trying to catch a show at least uh one of my I got to catch up with one of my good friends. I just mentioned him on the show, Tengua from uh, Holland. So he was actually out there wrestling on Michinoku Pro and needed a couple other shows. Um, uh, but just, uh, I think I'll, I'll, I'll plan to go back to Japan at least at some point to actually folk, like actually catch some shows or even like yeah. even try to get, to maybe take the opportunity to actually get booked. Um, on, I, honestly, I did kind of reach out this last time and uh, there was an interest from uh, DDT uh was willing to actually have me on one of their light shows i'm uh i'm haven't been as much conditioned recently though to actually have like a good like decent serious match um i'd have to just go out there and just do do my thing my right but you gotta you gotta cross off that 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 item you gotta i do i do even if it's a non even if it's wrestling uh tag teaming with survival tabita against a couple monsters in a lake i think that's crossing something off the list at least you know doesn't matter if it's in a wrestling ring. It doesn't matter if it's a serious match. Um, 
yeah, that's one of, that's definitely one of my goals. But uh, other than that too, I think uh, after graduating from college, um, I had some ambition to actually maybe move to Japan, uh, you know, for a while and actually train and wrestle out there. Um, never pursued that because I had an opportunity else, like, uh, you know, an opportunity within, you know, my, the career route that I wanted to do outside of wrestling kind of fell on my lap at the time. And it ended up me uh, uh, having uh, to go move to India for about six months and live there, which was phenomenal, like life-changing experience. But at the same time that um, that derailed my energy from actually, you know, let's say away from wrestling to some extent. Yeah. So, and, but it kind of, uh, it kind of, for the better at least, you know, the, I think it uh, established a foundation for like a separate career. So, I would say uh, the 2000s especially were a really big time for the indies as far as going from something that was kind of around to with the internet and everything being really big. It's something that everyone talked about. Like people, you know, before when you were younger, people would see WCWWF and guys would just show up and you had no idea <laughs> where they came from, why they were there. They just showed up and you're like, okay, cool. He's a guy now. He's a, he's a TV guy now. But now you got people being like, who's going to pick up this free agent? Who's going to pick up that guy? Uh, who are some of the guys that you thought when, when you saw them working, you're like, this guy's definitely going to get picked up. This guy's going to, but they just never did for some reason. Uh, you mean like on the indie scene? Yeah. In the early 2000s? Yeah. Um, it's funny you say that. You know, I, even the guys that actually ended up making it to WWE um, now, um, one of them being like, I mean, I'll name three of them off the top of my head. Brian Danielson, um, Kevin, Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn. Those are three people I never would envision actually being stars, in, which is weird to say. But having yeah. started, like I mentioned, I mentioned, um, you know, when I started wrestling in 99, 2000, um, in like, you know, I didn't have the goal of being in WWE. And at the time, it's like you had to be, you had to be roided up or like <laughs> you had to be like a, this monster of a bodybuilder of a person to actually make it. Um, so as far as, uh, you know, people getting signed or surprised by anyone getting signed, I'm actually, uh, I didn't foresee a lot of guys at the time, even like, you know, making, I was happy that they made it, but no doubt, you know, I'm so proud. No, were, there, were there guys that you were like, this dude's definitely going to get, make it. Um, you're like, oh, WWE's got, WWF's going to pick this guy up any day now, and they just never did. That's uh, I didn't honestly, I didn't have that thought. No, really, okay. Yeah, amongst uh, especially amongst guys that I wrestled with, um, yeah, I think they uh, Cole Cabana is maybe one of them, but Cole mm. Cabana did get signed on a case. Like, he was off and on, like with sporadic. Yeah. And then now he's in AEW. So yeah, yeah, but off and on, like he was, he was one of those people. Like I was confused as to why WWE would not sign him. Obviously, you know, some maybe some politics were in play. I kind of, I kind of lost sight of like any any of the politics in wrestling for like the last ten years or so. Yeah. Um, so I'm not one to really speak, but uh, I, I'm surprised and I'm actually quite proud that you know they've uh, changed their perspective over time in terms of what what a wrestler actually is. Um, no matter you know, no matter like si no matter how big, uh, no matter like even gender, sex doesn't matter you know i'm yeah. glad there, there's no boundary there's no boundary for who can actually go out there and perform 
Um, it shouldn't be that way. It should have never been that way, but I'm glad they're changing that perspective. Well, I always, I always thought it was interesting that, you know, when we were, we're about, I think we're about the same age. I was born in 84. Uh, yeah, same here. Same here. yeah. So uh, like when we were younger and we saw like the old WWF stuff from the eighties, you know, like guys like Bastion Booger were in the WWF and everyone was like, this is fine. But then, like, if a guy who's not super roided out, like you said, now when he doesn't make it, now when he gets in there, everyone's like, oh, he doesn't have the look. It's like, dude, they used – how come, like, I don't know. For me, it was always weird that, like, if you're smaller, that's you. That's unthinkable. But if you were, like, grossly obese, like, somehow you're allowed to to pass that test back, back in the day in the WWE. I didn't understand that. I don't know. It was very weird. <laughs> Yeah, and it was a uh, it was goes back to kind of like that uh, perception of reality too. Um, I mean, like I, I talked about like how I used to enjoy watching uh, Doctor Death because there was some intimidation factor around it. I think uh, people still have that notion to some extent. Um, so it's like you know, I think it's a perception of reality and having like someone like uh, you know Marcus Stunt kind of like you know go over on someone. But at the same time. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I think uh, it's funny because uh, I draw the paradigm with when I wrestled Samoa Joe, for example. Um, there was a fan after that was kind of close to the wrestlers too. Time. Um, it was actually at my house, my parents' house at the time. So myself, this fan, Brian Anderson, I want to say maybe a couple of other people were in the room at the time. But the fan was saying like, oh, you wrestling Joe is not believable. Um, like actually you giving him the Chipotle was just like, I didn't really believe it. I was like, man, it's like, honestly, it's like professional wrestling. <laughs> it's like, um, it's, it's kind of a, you have to perceive reality a little bit differently. And actually yeah. it's funny because Ryan Danielson actually stood up. He was actually, you know, counter argued with that saying like, you know, even like if Joe, like even tried to pin, like, let's say Joe tried to pin me, um, no matter what, no matter how big someone is, you have still have the leverage to actually like, you know, rid yourself or like, even like, you know, kick out to some extent. Yeah. There's ways to go about it, you know, scientifically actually that's yeah. <laughs> that be done. So he was trying to disprove him at the time too. And just like, just convey the fact that, you know, there's, uh, there's, there's some distortion between reality and professional wrestling, obviously. Um, well, one example I I heard a lot, uh, like, uh, this past, like a year ago, and I use it every time now, whenever anyone talks about reality and pro wrestling, you know, Oh, but that's not real. That's not real. Hey, the number one most basic move in the history of the war in the history of pro wrestling is not realistic. An Irish whip is not realistic. Why would you keep running? (laughs) <laughs> it's not, yeah exa- exactly exactly it's uh i i i don't like when people try to uh justify that like you know uh yeah just like even like any anything to say like it will get like uh the realism wrestling versus yeah. what uh, even like uh just comedy matches in general um uh, obviously i'm a big fan of it i think uh, uh i mean why does it why does everything have to be normal so that, yeah. <laughs> to that to that argument you know uh, I mean, there's definitely, I can, I can understand the notion that you want to, you want to to make it feel like a fight or seem like a fight, but it's, you know, at the end of the day, it's professional wrestling. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I always subscribe and I've said it on this podcast a a few times. So to anyone who's, who listens to this semi-regularly is going to get annoyed at me repeating myself, but I'm a big fan of the buffet model for pro wrestling. I think a little bit of this, a little bit of this, a little bit of this. That's what I love. I love seeing, you know, a comedy match just as much. I like seeing, for instance, like the, the crazy um, stadium stampede AEW had all comedy and mayhem and nonsense and horses and all, most everything you can imagine just thrown in like a kitchen sink. However, I also like watching like 
Abushi and Naito drop each other on each other's heads, like I and slapping yeah. the crap out of each other. I love both of those things. Exactly. No, there's nothing wrong with that diverse interest like that. I'm I'm the same way. I'm the same way exactly. There's actually not one style of wrestling that I dislike. Yeah. Overall, I think uh, just just embracing the diversity and like the what's available. Yeah. I think is a wonderful thing. I don't think I think uh, having unique content all around. Like that's why people embrace uh, Orange Cassidy. That's why he's so popular. Mm-hmm. It's something different, something unique <laughs> that you know they yeah. haven't seen before. So I think it's I think it's a great thing, man. I'm a huge fan of him. Oh, yeah, I am too. And I, I actually I, I'm a huge fan of how much people hate him as well. I think it's hilarious how worked up people get about it. Yeah, people are I, people are so passionate about it. Just uh, the inability to embrace any amount of change or something that's different, and it's I mean the same can be applied to normal life too, but. Um, <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> not about normal life i should say but yeah just uh it bewilders me that people are so passionate passionately opposed to it um i think it's, it'd be good to even from a wrestling perspective just be a little bit more open-minded what's out there and uh, did you ever have any guys who came into pwg uh when who were a little bit more on the serious and side who maybe weren't too keen on any of the comedy aspects in pwg no uh I mean, you, the, I, I won't state the obvious ones, but <laughs> but no one no one really uh, went out of their way to contest it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so even like uh, like my character, for example, I'd throw some baby powder on my nose before I went out there just to you know. But they knew it was like a character essentially. But, yeah. You know, they'd smile or laugh. You know, like oh, like, you know, even like uh, uh, I think James Gibson uh, ran. Uh, someone ran into him backstage at WWE. And, uh, he had asked, like, oh, where's the guy with the, the cocaine nose? <laughs> so, I mean, like, uh, but no one, no one ever pushed back on the comedy elements. Uh, in fact, uh, there was times where, where I was trying to, like, you know, uh, play my character, and I was actually given advice into how to do things a little bit differently or better by someone like even, like, Christopher Daniels, for example, uh, as far as, like, you know, playing to the crowd and whatnot. Mm. Um, so there was, no, there was no pushback whatsoever, but more around the lines of, like, okay, how could – uh, kind of teach you how to play your character a little bit better, which is great. I think people yeah. more or less embrace the idea that uh, we're trying to do something unique. Um, so no, yeah, there was no no okay. firm opposition to it or saying like, oh, this is stupid. Um, yeah, everyone kind of played along. All right. I thought there might have been pushback from someone like, there's a guy who uh, maybe uh, is kind of an anti-vaxxer, anti-mask guy <laughs> later lately. And I thought he might have been a little more iffy but my, you know my, my interactions were limited uh, at the early stages of pwg he actually was in uh he was a non-participant um i i was actually involved i was starting to get involved in wrestling and i was very close friends with super dragon at the time that he had wrestled him at uh, mpw mm-hmm. which was like uh which was interesting because uh socal uncensored uh, recently posted that uh, re- like a uh, tweet with like the actual match on youtube and it was kind of cool to see just everyone in the crowd at the time too including myself yeah, um, there was like who's who in wrestling almost like uh, a few years later. Yeah, uh, but yeah, no. I at the time it was, it, there was something. Uh, yeah, there was something obscure about uh, you know, you know he like I said he was a non-participant in early PWG. I think uh, uh, Dragon might have turned that around, turned that around at one point. Just said like, oh, this guy's you know, this guy's actually a good wrestler. Um, more along the lines of that versus like his him personally so he ended up booking him again in the long okay. run 
not that often, but uh, yeah, my inter- like I said, my interactions with him are lim- were limited. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think I had a, a <laughs> I honestly don't think I had a real personal one-on-one dialogue with him. Okay. Well, yeah, you know, I, he, I, I, I talked to him at uh, APW when I worked there, and I, I, yeah, I, was, I was not a fan of um, – talent-wise, one of the most talented people I think I've seen. Yeah. Personality-wise, I, I was not a fan. But moving on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, all, all in all, I, think, I don't think he's of this earth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, how did you notice from when you were starting out, you know – you know, just a fan and then you're helping out, then you're training. And then eventually, you know, you were to leave the wrestling business pretty much at the, what was it? 2011 when you, when you finished? Uh, yeah. Not, not entirely. Like 2008 is when okay. I had my final matches at PWG. Um, I think that's when I started to kind of ramp down on stuff. Okay. I mean, I was even invited. I was, I was booked actually on the XPW reunion show. Um, and the match was supposed to be like Rev Pro versus XPW. It was a weird match too. It was like, uh, it was myself, uh, American Wild Child, and Disco Machine against uh, Vinny Massaro, uh, X Pac, <laughs> uh, Sean, sorry, Sean Waltman, and mm-hmm. uh, God, who else was in that match? I can't recall, but like, yeah, I was originally booked in that, and I just I bailed out actually. Um, Didn't that show like, not happen, or did it happen? It did happen. It did happen. Okay. Uh, I, was, yeah. I can't remember how many XPW things didn't end up happening towards the, when they started trying to do reunion, like the extreme rising, whatever, all those reunion shows, like there was a whole bunch of stuff that. Yeah. Up yeah. yeah. No, they, that show did end up okay. happening, but I had to back out. So yeah, I ended up ramping down a bit in 2008. Okay. Ramping down. Sorry. Yeah. Actually, uh, I'm, I'm, tr- I'm going to have Vinny Massaro on the show as well soon too. I actually know him from APW days again. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny. Uh, occasionally, uh, uh, you know, I'll hear he mention my like name on like Twitter, but I don't know if he's a. I, at one point, I was actually a. You know, I was a pretty big fan. I was a pretty big mark, and like I used to. I even posted a review of King of the Indies on SoCal Uncensored under alias Mark Kawada. <laughs> so I think uh, I actually uh, I put him over in that uh, review, but I hope he has like no no hard feelings or the fact that I bailed out on the match. It was nothing against him at all. Yeah. Uh, I was actually a fan of his. Yeah. He's a cool guy. Good Twitter follow, by the way, for anyone listening. Uh, it's really funny. Anyway. Uh, so when you're seeing all this, all this change, what would you notice? What would you say were some of the big like changes that you saw in the indie wrestling world from when you started PWG to the time you bowed out? Um, as far as change, I think uh, I saw it more as, I think uh, there was a new evolution of local talent um, when I got out. Uh, I think the Young Bucks had essentially just started, literally like my last shows. Um, I liked, I actually enjoyed that, seeing that. I think the idea of, you know, just bringing in fresh talent uh, was something that was inviting to me. Because we had already gone about five years at that point. Um, I, the, the venue that we were at, you know, I, I don't think we drew as much as we had before. I think things need to be freshened up a bit. So that, that to me was inviting. Um, I would even say, you know, even the next generation of talent uh, from the original SoCal crew in PWG was also kind of refreshing to see. Like guys like, you know, Johnny Yuma, uh, guys like Peter Avalon and so forth, and just to watch them grow. And I think the biggest thing for me was actually just seeing like a guy like Peter Avalon in the crowd um when i was wrestling i remember visually just seeing him there and just seeing him actually grow (laughs) 
to what he's become today and just, you know, actually making the business uh, just means a lot to, to me is just to, just to see that. Even Willie Mack is a prime example of that where he actually, he used to do ring crew, uh, ring crew for free at the early PWG shows. Um, he'd take a bus from South Central LA to the venue in Hollywood to essentially just do uh, do ring crew, kind of do what he can to learn the business. Um, yeah. And then to eventually go on to who he became is just, just an incredible story. So I think I, I think I embraced I embraced some of that, and I was happy to see how that evolved over time. It just bringing in some fresh talent. Um, I'll be I'm a little bit disappointed with uh, how it turned out. I know it's you know it's I love the promotion itself. I love you know what it turned into, and I love the fact that you know it's it's celebrated as widely as it is today, and uh, it uh, there's a sense that you know no one would even know who I am if it wasn't for how popular Peter Wg was or you know is today. So, but at the same time, I uh, I think the original notion of you know that model of having local talent blended with the outsiders is gone. Um, it's all kind of just uh, outside talent. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't think there's a even. I think that there is. I think Jake Atlas and like Eli Everfly, those guys were, you know, starting to get some traction. Um, I know obviously Jake Atlas got uh, signed and, you know, maybe a lot of it's that guys are getting signed now. So they're now participants, you know, actively in the local scene. But um, yeah, a bit disappointed in that aspect. Yeah. That's what I've, I mean, I'm not in, in LA, but from what I gather from some people I know uh, down there is it, uh, they're kind of lamenting the recent the recent closure of a a smaller uh, promotion because it was a lot easier for people to get booked on those than it is to get booked on like PWG nowadays. That's yeah, true to say. I mean, it was the next. Uh, it was supposed to be the next generation of like PWG essentially. Yeah. Um, for enabling enabling that model that it is talked about. That's not to say it's done. You know, by any means. I think if anything, now it's uh, uh, hopefully people will be more encouraged. Yeah. Uh, so that it's definitely we're not no one's going to stand down and just say like it's over um whether it's a, a, a continuation of that promotion or if it's a new one that spawns up with the same idea and concept yeah. i think it's gonna it's gonna happen regardless yeah absolutely so a lot of you know uh promotions come and go very few have the long standing that uh pwg has especially in the indie world uh so obviously you have this magical secret to keep promotions afloat in your somewhere in your in your brain please explain to everyone how to keep your promotions busy <laughs> for so long um one of the aspects that i saw uh, earlier on and probably what drove us to create pwg in the first place um was a lot of like a i think the the mindset of a promoter to not embrace the ideas of other people um presents a challenge uh, I've seen that before in terms of the success of uh, how successful a promotion was or whether, you know, it ended up doing anything that matter. Um, you need to embrace the, within, within boundaries, obviously, you need to embrace the ideas of others. I mean, we were, we were the PWG six cause we were, you know, kind of a collaborative mindset surrounding it. I mean, eventually it kind of fizzled where it was maybe one or two people making the decisions because a lot of us had, you know, separate lives for that. For the most part, um, but it, 
the, just embracing the mindset of others, the ideas of others too, I think is important to continue running. And, and also just, uh, you know, embracing the idea of like what fans, you know, what are fans talking about? Um, like I, I mentioned to you earlier that I'm uh, in my professional career, I'm involved in data analytics. So I'm very data driven in terms of, okay, like uh, people are talking about a certain wrestler right now. So let's, let's kind of capitalize on that. Let's actually, you know, book them based on you know, popularity. I think uh, the PWG right now, current PWG is based on that. A lot of that primarily, you know, like Twitter, Twitter tends to create a lot of, uh, you know, uh, you know, drive and like, you know, this behavior in terms of understanding who's actually popular out there. But uh, like I said, just embracing the ideas of other okay. people, embracing the ideas of the fans, not just getting stuck in your own like, way of doing things, um, creating something unique and differentiating yourselves. That's core. Um, not, I mean, promotions that just do the traditional model of things are not going to survive. So in a pre-Twitter world, like when, when PWG started, how do you know what's popular? How do you know who, 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 should, get, who should be getting booked? Um, and it's just uh, pre-Twitter world, at least there's still you know, like, you know, there wasn't social media. A lot of it was uh, message boards and forums. Um, so a lot of it sometimes was based on how, you know, how well someone will market themselves. Mm. Uh, at the time, like, you know, I think SoCal Uncensored was one of the message boards that was popular. PWG had its own. Death Valley Driver video review was another big one. That's the one that like originally got me, you know, to find out what about Revolution Pro. So message boards were, message boards were a big thing. Um, and just like, you know, the dirt sheets that were out there too, like, you know, at the time that helped. So the internet, internet was still a resource in the early 2000s. MySpace was actually available then <laughs> and quite popular amongst like wrestlers. So that was, uh, that was an avenue too for finding out to some extent. I think Twitter has really, really resonated that. Um, especially like, you know, not just based on follower account, but like, you know, how much are people talking about like a certain wrestler, even, even to actually advertise there's gifts of a wrestler. There's even like you know, matches posted online now. So like having that avenue for actually understanding like, you know, who's popular is helpful. There's so many, there's so many different avenues now for like, you know, a wrestler, which is uh, prior to what was out there before. So it was much more, there was much more, I'd say there's as much work as uh, that needs to be done now by a wrestler to, you know, to get noticed than there was before. But at the same time, you have a lot of avenues, you have a lot of channels to kind of put yourself out there. Very good, sir. Uh, I do notice you had the uh, Pirates of the Caribbean poster there, and I know uh, based on your on your Twitter, uh, you're a big Disney fan. Uh, I am as well. So I gotta I gotta ask: uh, are, are you missing Disneyland right now in this in this COVID world? <laughs> I I absolutely am. Um, I am, but I'm not. Gonna, if they once they are open, I'm not going to take the immediate risk uh, oh. for myself or my family to go. Well, they're I'm supposed not- to be open now. I know, I know. They 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 pushed it out. They pushed it out. So um, as much as you know, it's a, it's it's one of my avenues of escape. Uh, you know, I'm one. I'm actually on, honestly one of those probably weird Disney people <laughs> that people talk about. My wife and I both, at least. So, um, but yeah, we we've, we've gone through all parks in the world. Um, just in Ooh. October, we actually we actually finished that up and uh, visited Shanghai and Hong Kong Disneyland. I just went to Shanghai. Oh, have you gone to Shanghai Disney? Yeah, I just I just went um about um two months before COVID happened. So yeah, I was I very went, we, went, we went in late October. Um, okay. so we had, we had just missed uh 
we had just missed the whole debacle with COVID, but yeah, really, really cool experience. Um, yeah, uh, I was, and I'm so sorry for anyone who does not want to hear this on this podcast about Disney talk, but I got to say it, that pirates ride. Oh man. <laughs> I, I literally like, and we were there on a day that there was barely any people there. So like we got off of it and the right end of the line was only like five minutes and we got, we got on the, off the ride and I just went again, the, again. Oh, yeah. like, felt like oh, yeah. we, we went on that, like maybe like uh, 10 times. Yeah. We went on a day where there, was, there wasn't that many crowds and they have actually a pretty cool app that you can actually, you know, pre-book like the fast passes and whatnot and you don't have to pay for it. Um, so the app, the app really much came in handy. So that and Tron were a couple of rides that we rode yeah. multiple times just cause like the, yeah, imagine Disney Imagineering is just outdone themselves. In fact, I'd, um, I'd, I'd actually plug, uh, if you haven't seen it, the Imagineering story, which is available on Disney plus. If you're a Disney fan, if you're a fan of like the parks, or rides and attractions. Like I'm a, I'm a big Disney history buff. So this was probably quite honestly, my, not only my favorite docu-series, but my favorite <laughs> series of all time. It's really good. I was actually seeing that. Yeah. Yeah. Did you notice how much people were, went crazy? Like I, I don't know. Cause that's the first time I've been to a foreign park besides Disneyland, Disney world. So I don't know how it is. And maybe it's the same in Japan, but I noticed everyone in Shanghai, like they were crazy about the parades. Like even oh, yeah, more no, than here. Yeah, yeah. Hong Kong and Tokyo are both are both the same. Um, Tokyo is actually my favorite in terms of the uh, cultural experience. Uh, we went around the time of uh, Halloween this last. We've gone twice before in 2014, and then we went uh, recently less last year. Uh, we went around Halloween this time, and it's, it was amazing to see the elaborate costumes. Like people had such elaborate costumes for like Halloween of like Disney characters or like Disney princesses, villains, whatever else. Um, you know I what? Think, uh, that was for Tokyo. Yeah, it was Tokyo. Yeah. Okay. You know, I'm I'm an idiot. It wasn't two months before COVID. I went to Shanghai at Halloween. Oh, we might have been there the same day. That's <laughs> that's Halloween. funny. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, because yeah, it was actually we had uh, we had departed from Shanghai on November first. I think uh, October uh, the thirty first of Halloween, we were actually in the city. But prior to that, we were at the Disney parks. Okay. Toy Story Hotel. That's where we stayed. Uh, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure we might have crossed paths and didn't even know it. That's sad. That's funny. Right? <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Uh, China's a trip, man. Like culturally, like it's, it's definitely like a culture shock city as far as, you know, I've never been to, uh, I've been to like Europe, but that's, you know, not, not the same thing. <laughs> so like, it was definitely different, like being in China as far as the cultural aspect of it. I was like, especially uh, when you're like, on an intersection and they're, and you know, they're like, Hey, uh, so it's time. Everyone just starts walking. There's cars like piling up right next to you, but you just go, you just got to go. Otherwise you're never going to go. Oh yeah. 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 It's like, uh, like human frogger. Yeah. <laughs> like the, India is the same way. So I, I told you I spent about six months working and living in India. So yeah, uh, I've been a family out there. I visited like three times in my life. Um, that's, that's, that was, I, I went there at an early age, like 15. So, I was kind of introduced to that, that aspect of culture shock uh, yeah. quite, quite early on. So uh, Shanghai, was, Shanghai was no surprise. The only thing that stood out to me there was that um, the Disney Resort itself uh, was like kind of its own world. Um, like even like, I think I ventured outside just to get like uh, some liquor. Um, I actually got a taxi and like it took me out. But like they treated it like I was like, okay, like, oh my gosh, you're leaving. You're leaving here. Like you got to be careful. <laughs> we have to actually account for you coming back. 
I was like, oh, my yeah. God, what am I getting myself into? <laughs> well, I didn't expect Shanghai Disneyland to be so far from Shanghai. Yeah, no, it really, it really was, yeah. Because we no, were in I, Shanghai, and we we're like, oh, we got to go. This thing, it takes, it takes like an hour and a half. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, we, no, we ended up staying, too, in the city one night at the JW uh, there, which is like, you know, just to be in the centralized, just to kind of experience what, uh, just experience the real China to some extent. Yeah. Um, I think we only, like, it was only one night. So I definitely want to go back at least one day, hopefully one day, uh, just to maybe just revisit the parks and then also um, kind of go wander around China for that matter. Oh, no, yeah. We did like a tour group thing. So we went to like uh, Xi'an where they have the terracotta soldiers. We did that. Oh, nice, and, nice. Yeah, no, so I want to. So we were able to do, you know, Great Wall. We were able to do like all the touristy trapping stuff. And then we went, we were like, well, we have a day in Shanghai where we're not doing anything. So obviously got to go to disneyland <laughs> obviously yeah definitely definitely check out the tokyo parks uh tokyo parks are very i think more unique like i mm-hmm. mentioned culturally and then like just like a the whole experience overall is my favorite um yeah. and it's not just the attractions that's you know make make the difference i mean it does help like stuff like the parts of the yeah. right Shanghai is absolutely amazing but it's just the you know the experience of like uh, the immersive experience of the whole thing like in the whole thing essentially Absolutely. Well, brother, it's about that time to take it home for the last segment of the podcast. Uh, I apologize to all the wrestling people who are watching or listening to this who, who hate Disney, but guess what? That's what's going to happen. Anyway, um, so uh, we got some rapid fire stuff here. Uh, but of course, if anything, you know, uh, you want to digress from anything we're talking about, something pops in your head, feel free to. There's no hard and fast rules here. Uh, number one, Favorite move or hold that you didn't use? Oh, one of my favorite moves was, I think, the, the top rope uh, lariat. I think you, you probably saw it a lot in all Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like a Stan Hansen or Kobashi match where you actually place the opponent on the turnbuckle and do a lariat. So I thought, I always thought, I was always a big fan of that. Um, obviously, yeah, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> I don't have. I'm vertically challenged. <laughs> it didn't. It didn't really make uh, sense sometimes. But uh, that's one move um, I regret not doing. And then amongst my own move set, um, I wanted to do like a top rope uh, chipotle, or even like a springboard chipotle. So that was one one thing. And uh, what is your craziest fan interaction? Craziest fan interaction. At least it was a it was a healthy interaction. Um, I think I came out one show with like a, I had like a, a thong that I put on top of my gear. And um, I think, you know, fans obviously took notice of that. And it was my like nude singlet or whatever. And then I took it off. And one of the, one of the fans in the crowd the next time around, uh, she actually brought me like this. Uh, a, it was like a, it was a thong that said like TGT on it. And then I had some chains. So I actually started wearing that uh, to the ring. After, thereafter but i thought it was cool you know actually actually yeah. you know went out of way to actually do this so that element of me kind of stood out that was a that was a unique experience for me speaking of the that you know flesh-colored singlet that you uh would wear um like people uploading 480p uh footage of pwg that that singlet looks even better when it's when it's uh <laughs> pixelated it's kind of like when you're sk- when you go when you're scrolling through YouTube, you're like, wait, what's going on right here in this match? <laughs> oh gosh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's fun. Like I said, it's just uh, something unique and different that I wanted to do. And it's funny because my mom was actually the one that came up with the crotch for idea and actually sewed it on. So <laughs> amazing, amazing. I had uh, I had 
I had some fans within the family itself. There you go. Um, besides trying to hurt you on purpose, what's the worst thing someone can do when you're working with them in a match? Um, change up, change things up a bit. Like, you know, even like if, if you have something planned uh, originally that you originally planned, uh, trying to change the structure midway through. Um, sometimes you don't always plan everything in wrestling. There's a certain structure that you follow, obviously. Um, but just trying to uh, trying to throw you off by changing that flow is definitely something um, outside of just intentionally hurting you. That's uh, that's what sticks out to me in terms of like, okay, just kind of throwing you off. It doesn't, especially if you have like a pretty good groove going or if you have an idea in your head of what's going to happen next, um, that can really throw things off and you know, even the match itself. I've had that. I've had that pl- happen plenty of times. <laughs> Don't believe oh, really? Me. Yeah. Or even just like, um, I mean, I'm guilty of it myself, but uh, people forget. I mean, we're taking, we're taking bumps. We're taking hits to the head all the time. So um, obviously we're, we're, we're never a hundred percent to remember every, every spot or, uh, or even to like, you know, keep with the flow and rhythm of the match or, you know, there's so many different things to, you know, you're thinking about the time, you're thinking about the crowd, you're thinking about the placement in the ring, you're thinking about like your, you know, your next move. I mean, there's a ton of things to actually think about. So uh, losing sight of the idea, losing sight of what's next is, uh, you know, something that's scary for any wrestler. Uh, just piggybacking off of, the, off of uh, the injury portion of that, uh, what's the worst injury you got in wrestling? I was lucky enough not to sustain anything too serious. Um, I think the worst one, uh, is, uh, a couple times of training, I've, uh, torn ligaments in my ankle. One of them was mm. kind of rolling around like, uh, almost like shooting. And I thought, you know, that I thought it'd be cool to kind of do like some, some stuff on like the mat where I flip around and whatever. And I ended up getting my uh, ligament torn as a result of that. It was nothing, nothing was ever intentional. Um, and then I think I took a monkey flip. Uh, or I was back body drop once and landed on my landed on my feet, <laughs> which was was not my intention. So <laughs> I ended up uh, tearing my ligament there. But those, so I tore ligaments in both ankles twice um, throughout my career. So that was the extent of the worst thing. Never had a really serious concussion. Uh, been knocked loopy a few times, uh, but not to the extent of being out cold. Mm. Um, but yeah, I've been I I've been lucky overall. And even now, I don't I don't. I don't have anything lingering as far as injuries. I know okay. a few of my friends actually do. They even have distanced themselves from wrestling and not been involved for a long time or even trained. Uh, they still have some nagging injuries here and there, but nothing, nothing serious. Okay. Yeah. I, I imagine, especially, you know, good, good on you for getting off with no crazy concussions or anything. We actually just had a, a, a worker from up here called wild storm and uh, he's, he's done wrestling as well. Uh, he told a story of when he got a concussion one time in the ring. And then after the show was over, he was just waiting by the entranceway. And somebody was like, hey, everyone's leaving. What are you doing? He's like, I'm waiting for my music. And they're like, the match is over. And he's like, what? He had no idea. He completed not only his match, but then like a battle royal. It's, 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 oh, he should not have uh, continued at all. No. No, it's 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 scary. It's uh, it's scary actually. Uh, to think of, like I've I've been in those situations too, where like uh, someone's been knocked cold, completely cold. We've had to carry them to the back. Uh, they come, they wake wake up essentially and just start crying because they don't know where they are. 
Um, it's, it's something to actually take pretty seriously. Um, not just in wrestling, but every sport, like even like, uh, I just coached my daughter's t-ball last year. And, uh, in order to even do that, I had to take, uh, like CTE concussion training online, actually distributed by, uh, Dirk Nowitzki, like the guy from, uh, yeah. in WWE. So he's the one that uh, advocates that program and puts it out there. So it was mandatory to actually take that. Well, that's good. That's mandatory. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think uh, I know. There's no governance process in wrestling overall to like kind of mandate that. But at the same time, I think uh, they should put it on people or promotions to actually you know do that uh, just for awareness um, of you know how to treat. I mean, it's no different from a child to an adult. <laughs> yeah. To some extent, like you know how you treat a concussion, it shouldn't be treated any differently. It's scary to see somebody like uh, I'm not gonna lie. Um, like uh, it's changed. Uh, seeing people actually get concussed, uh, I saw some changes in their personality or behavior after. Interesting. Uh, long, long term. Wow. Um, so it wasn't just like okay, like a, it wasn't just like a okay, get knocked out and you recover. Um, there's some long term effects. Ob- obviously, <laughs> it's it's yeah. well documented in any sport, football, wrestling. Um, yeah, it's it's really sad to see. And it, I, if I ever, I, you know, if I ever see that again, like in wrestling, if I ever, you know pick my head and actually witness that itself. Um, it needs to be treated, taken care of a little more seriously and not just like let the guy go out there on his own accountability. Like you, we all kind of need to be responsible for each other. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot more of that could go on in wrestling is uh, people taking, helping take accountability for, you know, their fellow professionals. I think, I think it's absolutely necessary uh, to in consideration of what we, you know, what we even experienced there's individual accountability, but there's also like, you know, you're, you need to also be accountable for other, it's independence, you know, independent wrestling, especially. Yeah. Uh, it needs to be more of a team sport. No, obviously it's always been kind of a, it's like a slight competition, you know, to some extent in terms of making it, um, you're more or less on your own. You have to, you know, do your own marketing, whatever else. Uh, but on a personal level, uh, we need to, you know, do better at least taking care of each other. Moving on to the next part here. Uh, was there ever a time uh, you were working with someone um, and this could be good or bad uh, that you were legitimately surprised by them? Maybe you heard some not so nice things and it turned out they were amazing or better than you thought, or you heard like how great someone was and it turns out they were kind of a bummer in the ring. Um, for the former, actually, uh, Samoa Joe was that person in terms of uh, it was a fantastic experience. Um, I, you know, I, I didn't hear anything really negative. I just heard like, you know, maybe like, uh, a, a little bit, st- like a little bit snug or like, even like, uh, taking the muscle buster was, a, a slightly like, a, you know, 50, 50 kind of experience to some extent, like people, you know, sustain some level of injury, maybe. Um, I mean, no different than any wrestler to begin with. There's always, there's always that chance, but, uh, he was great. And he was, you know, he was just a consummate professional to work with. He took, like, he was willing to take any move that I wanted to give him work work with any idea they wanted to pitch. Um, even after the match, he was very complimentary. Um, uh, I wouldn't say that shocked me by all means. He was always professional, but at the same time, I was very happy with the overall experience. Um, for the, for the latter part of it, um, I'm lucky enough where, well, you know, I take that back. There's been some, I won't name names, but they're, they're not, nobody like really that relevant today at all or ever. Um, <laughs> they, they've, they've taken liberties in terms of stretching me uh, mm. in the ring. It was uh, mostly, 
mostly uh, local lucha talent. So I did I did a few small shows uh, for local lucha promotions. Uh, even in Arizona, I did uh, one uh, lucha promotion, and uh, there was times where they actually took liberties in terms of trying to stretch me or or even waiting till after the match to actually do it. So it, it you know, that's that's not the first time I've heard stuff like that. Lucha lucha can be a very uh, clicky like territorial th- uh, show. Especially it, people it who act- aren't luchadors. It it is actually, um, and uh, you know, I, I I'm not fluent in Spanish by any means, so maybe it's a language barrier thing, or maybe it's a it's a matter. Of, but you're right about the click, the clicky kind of environment. Um, I would say is you know even like the uh, guys like Los Luchas, for example, like uh, separated themselves from that kind of environment, kind of you know joining us at Repro. So maybe they they weren't even uh, too happy with like you know how things were conducted in full there, but. Um, yeah, I think uh, yeah, it's definitely a different, a little bit different mentality and mindset. It could come down to the way they're trained too, mm-hmm. um, and just the general culture of lucha. I mean, I've I've been so distanced from that, for like I don't know how long. So I don't know if it's still still happening. But uh, yeah, I don't I don't feel that's that's necessary, especially if you're trying to cooperate with your opponent. Yeah. Um, at the time, at the time of these incidents, I wasn't like brand new, like fresh out, you know, fresh out of training. Like I didn't deserve to be stretched. <laughs> by any means i was trying to cooperate and work with them i thought we you know at the time we had some you know good flow going with the match i was i was kind of like the anomaly in the match in terms of like okay this everyone else like you know a mass wrestler a luchador local lucha talent and i was just randomly thrown in there but uh yeah definitely that experience was not uh not the best mm. yeah the the guy i mentioned before wildstorm uh he was a, a white guy luchador so you can imagine when he did some lucha shows uh the 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 looks of disdain he got in the locker rooms he he talked about <laughs> where they were just like who is this white guy oh i'm sure i'm sure and hopefully yeah. hopefully they didn't take liberties with him because yeah. that's that's not right yeah um so, oh uh so you mentioned that you know obviously this isn't going to happen at pwg but has a booker uh ever tried to stiff you on pick on pay uh, yeah, actually, uh, multiple times. Um, like I, I was never, you know, I never, uh, I was never too passionate about uh, wrestling as a career, like I mentioned. Um, at the same time, like, you know, I was never, I never treated myself as like a, like, treated as a business or tried to make money, per se. I probably lost more money in wrestling than I did made, than I've ever made. Um, a lot of it was like uh, indirect as a result of maybe like, you know, lugging people around to the airport or like those, the costs associated with like housing people and whatnot. I'm not gonna no regrets at all, um, but yeah, there was a couple times where uh, we did a show as a Red Pro crew in Bakersfield, and um, I was just mentioning this to someone because that uh, that promoter had posted has been posting actively on Twitter and like like that guy never paid all of us. Um, I think he even just ran off and uh, we never saw. It could be it could have been a matter of uh, the person that got us booked at the time. He might have paid him, and he didn't tell us that he got paid. Who knows? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna look back and get mad at the situation. Um, um, it's not right. Yeah, it's not right to do that to begin with. I mean, the, a lot of these guys actually. It's some of these guys. Some of my friends even. It, it was their livelihood at the time. They didn't have a second job. They didn't have a career um, like outside of wrestling that they were chasing like myself. So I mean, they, some people don't have that luxury. Um, it's not right to do that with anyone in any 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 career. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anything anything even outside of wrestling so that it happened there and then it happened actually uh 
uh, one of my uh, UK experiences uh, where the, you know, the promoter was going to follow up and pay me on PayPal, but never did. I just let it go. It wasn't a big deal. Um, I was excited about the idea of being flown out there to begin with. So it was, it was, it was forgivable. It wasn't going to, it wasn't going to do anything to <laughs> help my bank account by any means. Yeah. Such a small amount to even warrant making, causing a scene out of it. Um, but at the same time, I should be, uh, I should be responsible in terms of bringing it forward uh, because other people might suffer from the same that are actually trying to make a living out yeah. of it. So yeah, I would say it's happened multiple times. And um, even my early career, like uh, Revolution Pro, we, like, we were never paid at all. Like never. Um, there was maybe one or two occasions where I actually got paid. That's in wow. Revolution Pro. Yeah. That's how it is. Paying your dues, brother. <laughs> yeah, to some extent, but then, yeah, yeah, I think uh, there wasn't those shows weren't making money too. So I understand. Yeah. I understand that aspect of it. Uh, uh, it was more of, but uh, yeah, it's just it's just not right. There's got to be a way to. There's got to be a way to find, even if it's a small a small draw, um, just find a way to pay the boys, even if it's a, a small amount. Yeah. Whatever. Um, sometimes they're even paid through food. <laughs> It's, I mean, it's a, it's a gesture, I guess, but, um, yeah, get some yeah. gas money for the love of God, you know, something. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. Um, yeah, it's unfortunate. I hope it's not happening as prominent, prominently as it used to be. Um, yeah, there's very few times where I actually saw a decent payday from my time wrestling. So I think one of, one of the times is that wrestling in Australia, um, they, you know, they treated me really well there and like, uh, that was a cool experience and they put, actually they put me over their champion. <laughs> at the time too and like uh it was a non-title match but still it was just like very yeah. cool like to get the royal treatment like that and and then uh i did boom i did a boom once uh locally here and that was decent too very nice uh what's the best mistake you made in pro wrestling the best mistake yeah Ooh, that's a that's an interesting one. Oh man that's a, that's a challenge dance right now i'm, I'm, I'm struggling okay. to, uh, to think about it because i I guess one of the best mistakes I did was maybe tr- uh, trying to go to the different wrestling schools initially. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wouldn't call it a mistake per se. It was just more along the lines of looking like I tested the waters with a couple of different schools until I actually found Repro. So it, was, uh, it wasn't it was an intentional mistake at the time, but at least like, you know, I found out like, okay, this wasn't for me, but actually, you know, I found a home eventually with Repro. Okay. That, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what's the hardest you've laughed at an indie show? The hardest I laughed at an indie show, I think some of the, some of the promos that we talked about earlier in the, the discussion that we filmed like for PWG. Um, one of them I think was uh, with Quicksilver and El Generico. Um, I can't remember the context of the promo, but there was a, a time where uh, Quicksilver actually came up, like popped up behind him when he was sitting down. Um, that video is still on YouTube, but that some of those promos were like the hardest I ever laughed at an indie show. Um, you know, just to actually, just to actually witness that firsthand, like the, you know, just to see to see my friends and like, <laughs> I know we all we all kind of uh, we loved comedy too at the time and the absurdity of things. So it was uh, it was fun to fun to be part of that. Very nice. Um, you know, you mentioned you've been. Got England, got Germany, got Australia, America, yada yada yada. What's the worst gimmick you've seen? 
Uh, I probably have, uh, I probably have participated in some of the worst gimmicks <laughs> I've ever seen. <laughs> so, um, one of my characters, so I've wrestled, uh, it took me a while before I finally found the Top Gun character or even like <laughs> groomed myself into what it became. But, um, uh, some of, uh, one of my initial characters was El, Ni- El Hijo del Negro Blanco Jr. <laughs> Which is kind of, a uh, yeah, it was a ridiculous character. I, I wrestled uh, against Mr. Excitement uh, earlier in my career at this uh, car consumer crossing show, which is essentially like a used car sale, uh, used car show with wrestling in the middle of it. People are kind of casually walking around and seeing like, what the hell is going on here. Uh, but yeah, I wrestled as Ellie Hilda Negro Blanco Jr. Um, other than that, I think there's been actually, on the, on the flip side, there's been some pretty fun, cool characters that I've seen over time. Uh, one local talent was like the stepfather, the step family. That was kind of that was kind of a neat character, or even like the drunken Irishman character. It's kind of fun uh, just to see how it plays along with it. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm into like kind of weird gimmicks and characters overall. So mm-hmm. um, even like being like a huge fan of Survival Tobita and seeing like uh, Mojukin Ken, some like battling monsters and whatnot. So I, I think it's a that's a cool element of wrestling. All right. Uh, now, once again, this is, we don't need to name any names, but uh, any guys that were quote unquote bigger names in the business uh, that were at a show that you worked on that thought they were better than the show, acted like they were better than the show, really probably, you know, just rub you the wrong way. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think uh, there was one example of uh, early PWG at the Elks Lodge, um, it's a it's a famous incident where uh, a guy came in with a fur coat and his entourage. <laughs> um, I won't I won't name names, but uh, they they went on to uh, he went on to do this promo, did a couple moon salts, and it was uh, it was like uh, they, when they came in, it was just like what is it, like is this Zoolander? Like what's going on? <laughs> what's, is this real life Zoolander? Like what's going on here? Um, I mean, not he. He didn't do anything bad per se, or say anything bad, but like uh, at the time, it was just it's kind of like it rubbed us the wrong way. It's like okay, like who the fuck does this guy think he is? <laughs> I mean, I'm all about being unique and stuff, but maintain some level of professionalism. Yeah, at least uh, uh, in wrestling, you're gonna get personalities like that. Though there's been there's been a, a few people that are like you know, a little bit holier than thou uh, type of personalities. There's even been some that have gone. Uh, came to the shows a little bit drunk or high mm. as well, which is dangerous. Um, I definitely, you know, I, I played a character that was like a, a, a cokehead. I, I never did drugs before the match. Like, yeah. Like, I mean, so, like, you don't have, yeah. So when that happens, what is that? What is like, you know, well, at least why, you know, I can't say what is protocol at any show because it's all independent, you know, but at PWG, like, do you kind of just like go to someone else who's, who's running the show and being like, Hey, there's some, something's gotta be done here. Or like what? What happens then? I think there's a obviously there's some there is some accountability there, especially running a promotion. Right? So you have to make uh, at least uh, the the opponent that's involved aware. That was definitely done. As far as not uh, resuming the match, I would say that uh, yeah, that wasn't the case. It wasn't. There was a judgment call in terms of you know how dangerous uh, you know the the act could actually be. 
Uh, believe it or not, uh, it's more prominent than one would think. It, just, it didn't just happen for like a promotion that I've been involved with in the past. It happens all around. Um, mm. it, it's, you know, it's dangerous, you know, honestly, it's, um, it can result in some serious injuries uh, for that matter. It's just like, you know, you can't drive a car if you're inebriated or even high for that matter. I'm all, I mean, I'm all about like, you know, uh, advocating the issues of cannabis for medicinal reasons, but at the same time, like, you know, some certain, there's a certain place and time for it, uh, by all means. So we just got to be careful you know, yeah. for that matter. It's a, it's a, it's really a judgment call and, uh, it's a matter of just making like the people involved aware that it's, you know, that it's happening. Just like, okay, just use, use caution. Yeah. Uh, this is, I call this the touchy feely question of, of this, uh, it's your pure joy in wrestling, whether it be before the match, after the match, during the match, whatever, the thing that gives you goosebumps where it happens and you're like, this is why I fucking love this business. This is why I love wrestling. Um, it, it, uh, stuff that I've been involved with or anything. Yeah. Just like, just like the moment, like it could happen a lot of times. It could happen only a few times, but just that when that moment happens, you're like, this is what I fucking love. Like, I love this part of wrestling. I think uh, in every match, more or less, just from the time the music hits uh, to hearing a crowd response to hearing a laugh in the crowd, I think that's just uh, that's what that's what got me charged the most. Um, as far as uh, seeing stuff too, even like as a wrestler and fan, there's times where like uh, PWG, I remember the old sweat box. Uh, people were literally dancing sometimes as a reaction like a crowd reaction. They weren't just like, you know, chanting or clapping, cheering. They were dancing. I mean, that, <laughs> the emotion behind that, it was just like, wow, this is something I'm so proud to be a part of. Like just to see that reaction out of people, uh, bring that much joy to people. Um, you know, I mean, people can either choose to be sad or happy, but just to see them happy and thrill, it, it kind of, it, it helped, like, you know, it helps kind of, uh, it, it drives you a little bit more, you know, to be like, yeah. a, you know, to see like the, to bring joy to people's faces and happiness. I mean, that's a huge thing. That's a huge thing as a wrestler and just a, you know, fan of wrestling. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's meant to be a happy place. It's meant to be a place of joy that you can, you, you can go and just like, you know, cheer on people or even dance because they're so yeah. excited. It should be, it should be that place. Awesome. And we'll finish off with this. Any uh, pranks or embarrassing stories that come to mind? Um, there was a, so I got ribbed a few times by Super Dragon. Um, one of them, I won't, I won't, the joke is pretty, the joke is pretty, <laughs> pretty bad. So I won't, I won't mention it, but one of the times he told me that, um, I was going to be scheduled to wrestle Abdul the Butcher on an upcoming show. <laughs> <for> <laughs> <PWG>. <laughs> um, obviously like, I was, the idea was kind of cool at the time, you know, I actually, uh, I respected uh, Abdullah as a legend, but uh, I don't want to get like stabbed in the head with a fork. So, um, I, knew, I, knew, I knew kind of the, uh, you know, the reputation of getting in the ring with him, what that would entail. Uh, so I was shitting my pants. pretty much the idea. And like, eventually he came back and said like, you know, that's not, it's not true. Or whatever. I'm not even sure if he yet like, he ever came back. It just never happened. <laughs> but, yeah. He said like, Oh yeah. I made good friends with Abdullah the butcher when I, when I wrestled in Japan. It's funny. Cause I think uh, he got, he actually got concussed in Japan and what I heard is like Abdullah was actually holding him holding his head like you know just like petting his head consoling him uh well you know he was knocked out but I guess yeah he had made friends with him and he said he uh booked me against him but it never happened 
I'm, oh, man. Maybe, maybe for the worst, maybe for the better. Who knows? Wow. Well, thank you very much, sir. I appreciate you being on the show. Um, it was great to talk with you about not only wrestling, but some Disney stuff as well. Sorry, folks. And uh, a few other things. Of course. Yeah. Thank, no, thank you so much for having me. And, uh, you know, to everyone out there, including the wrestlers, you know, stay safe, stay well. Um, you know, even in, if people in the business and fans out there, just, uh, you know, don't be discouraged uh, from what's going on out there. You know, there's, like I said, there's a, it's, wrestling's a happy place. Um, wrestling should be a safe place for fans and wrestlers alike. Um, don't be discouraged by that. By that. Uh, be optimistic. Um, whatever, whatever's happening, Let's just turn a negative into a positive going forward. Absolutely. Uh, any social media stuff you want to plug? Um, just, you know, I'm, I'm on Twitter. Uh, a lot of it, I'm trying not to be too negative as much as, you know, what's happening around, you know, but, you know, there's certain, uh, I like to reminisce about uh, my wrestling experience and I like to reminisce even about like, you know, like whether it's a Revolution Pro, Pro and Gorilla. Uh, so definitely like to plug my uh, Twitter. It's not, there's nothing businessy associated with it i'm not trying to sell anything um i've actually been asked to like maybe uh, sell my t-shirts again if i did do that it would be completely charitable uh i'm not plan- intending to make money off of it by any means so uh, maybe i'll think about it i just want to get like a some a good, good quality distributor uh someone willing to sell it but yeah top gun tower is my uh, twitter handle absolutely all right thank you very much sir appreciate it thank you so much paul for having me have a great one